0: You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Today we're in Exodus chapter 3 and we're looking at exiting our insecurities. Um, So if you wanna open up your Bibles there, go to Crossroads app and look at the sermon notes, you can follow along there. In Crossroads Online, the chat hosts are gonna drop in those notes and the scriptures as we go. Well, do you remember as a kid um, being on the playground and uh, some kid would run up to you, slap you on the back and say, tag, you're it, right? And uh, the whole idea, as you know, is like, at that point, you've got to run after them and tag them right back. But maybe you were a little bit like me. You were like, in that split second, you do a little assessment of the whole situation. You look at the kid, and you go, can I take him? (laughs) And if you can, then it's on. But if you can't, you just kind of shrug your shoulders, look cool. You know, you're too big for that. You know, I'm not playing your silly games of tag. Well, it's been a long time since I've been tagged in that way. Not inviting any of you to do that this morning, by the way. I'll just try to look cool. Um, But I do get tagged for all sorts of assignments. And just a couple weeks ago, my wife tagged me for an assignment that I just dread, taking one of my kids to a kid's party. Now, When I became a dad, I have five kids, so I I was in hook, line, and sinker for this, right? Like I I was up for diapers, I was up for exhaustion, I was up for throw-up, I was up for discipline, I was up for all that stuff, right? But kids' parties, that one kind of caught me off guard, right? I remember the first one. I was green. I was really green. (laughs) So nobody gave me the memo that you're supposed to turn up an hour late because... If you get there on time, they're still setting up and there's no other kids there. And nobody gave me the memo that's only just family there. And so, yes, you might be taking your kid with you, but he's going to disappear into that bounce house for two hours. And so it's just going to be you, your stale nachos, and your thoughts of how you can escape this miserable situation (laughs) as fast as possible, right? Anybody else not get the memo? Yeah. So my wife's amazing. She is an extrovert. She loves talking to people. I'm an introvert. I don't love that part of kids' parties. And so uh, she's taken that assignment many times. So when she tagged me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, you got to do this one, I knew I was it. So I went, and I survived. (laughs) Yes, But you know what, here's the reason, here's why I hate those situations so much, it raises all my insecurities, okay? See, growing up, I was a nerd before it was cool to be a nerd, okay? (laughs) And I have that feeling of insecurity right here, it's still there, you know? Um, For me, when I think about small talk, that's a big headache in my mind. Anybody else with me on that? Small talks, big, yeah, thank you. Um, And get this, Get this, I'm a pastor who used to be a math teacher, okay? You bring that up in conversation, just one of those things, and the conversation's over. I got both, I got both, all right? So I've had to learn, I've had to learn how to keep my insecurities from paralyzing me, okay? But it's just not me who struggles with these kind of things, we all do. If we're honest, we all have insecurities, and yes, Even the mighty Moses had insecurities, yet the Moses that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come who stands up to Pharaoh, who does amazing miracles, who leads hundreds of thousands of people for decades, that Moses, inside, he had insecurities. And today we get to go a little bit behind the scenes. We get to Listen in on a one-on-one conversation Moses had with God. And God tags Moses for the first time, and Moses has all sorts of excuses why he's not gonna do what God's asking, because underneath those excuses are all sorts of insecurities. So we're gonna jump into Exodus chapter three, verse one, where we find a very comfortable Moses shepherding someone else's sheep. Look what it says. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now remember, this is Moses, who is born an Israelite. He's adopted. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the Egyptian palace. He realized as he grew up that his people were in slavery, he wanted to do something about it, and as we saw last week, he went about it all the wrong way, ends up killing a guy, flees Egypt for his life, and this is where we pick him up. He's now a shepherd, he's got married, he's shepherding his father-in-law's sheep, Um, and as much as he's been demoted, it seems like he feels pretty comfortable in his situation. But so often in life, uh, we get comfortable, God says, yeah, it's go time. Verse 2, There's the, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Yeah, God's like, this is serious go time. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I love it when the Bible just tells you what they're thinking. It's just kind of seems kind of funny. But when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. Talk about a way to get somebody's attention, right? By the way, did you see that in verse 2 how it's the angel of the Lord and then in verse 4 it says that it's God talking to him? Most Bible scholars believe this is actually Jesus right now talking one-on-one with Moses. So how does Moses respond? Verse four, and Moses said, here I am, which, by the way, take note that's an excellent way to respond if God calls you. Here I am. Verse five, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I mean, what an amazing scene, right? Moses standing in front of a burning fire, on holy ground, in the presence of a holy God. So God's got his attention for sure, but for what? Well, God doesn't really beat around the bush on this one. (laughs) Okay, you got there, you got there, okay. The Lord said, verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. And I love this because it just says, the Lord has seen this, and he's heard their cries. He sees their suffering, and he hears them. I want you to know this morning, whether you're online, you're here on site, whatever situation you're dealing with, if you're dealing with difficult times, God sees it and he hears your cries. That is the kind of God we have. So he hears these cries and he tells Moses about that. And I can just imagine saying Moses saying, "Yeah, I I know all about that. I was there. I saw it. You got to do something about that, God. You got to you got to you got to take care of that. Why aren't you doing something?" You know? I'm glad you heard about it. Good luck. You go, God. But like we said in week one, God's got a plan, verse 10. So now go, he says to Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. To put it crossroads way, tag your it, Moses. (laughs) God says, I've heard my people, and I'm tagging you to go do something about it. Now think about this for a moment, because what God is calling Moses to do is to go back to the land of his greatest failure, where he murdered a guy, to a people, to lead a people who had rejected him and don't want anything to do with him. And in order to lead them out of slavery, he's gonna have to stand up to the most powerful person in the known world, Pharaoh. So what you've got going on here is Moses is facing failure, he's facing rejection, and he's facing inadequacy which is some pretty major catalysts for some major insecurity. And maybe you relate to that, right? Those three words. Maybe as you think of trying to be a better husband, all you can think of is all the failures that haunt you and you think, what's any different this time? Or maybe the idea of talking to your kids about God or praying with them, you're just afraid of being rejected by them or you don't feel adequate to the task. Maybe God's joined, you know, uh, tagging you to join a tag team around here, which is what we call our volunteer teams, but you think in the midst of that, I don't have what it takes to do that. You see, with this mission back to Egypt, God has triggered all of Moses' insecurity alarms. In Moses' head, he is like, I can't do this. And surprise, surprise, Moses tags God back. See, Moses hadn't learned the rules of tag yet. There's no tag backs. But he doesn't just tag God back once or twice. He tags God back five times. And we're gonna look at each of those in succession here. Uh, Verse 11, the first tag back comes right away in the next verse. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, Moses says right back, God, I'm the wrong guy. You, don't, you know I'm just a shepherd, right, God? And I don't even have my own sheep. And the Israelites don't like me, and I killed an Egyptian. I'm not the kind of guy you send to Pharaoh. And you know what? I'm kind of with Moses right now. Like, no, no this is not the right guy, God. You got the wrong guy. But God's response is so incredible and so simple at the same time. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. Like a dad walking his kid through a group of bullies, God says to Moses, yeah, this is big, but I'm bigger. He tags Moses right back and says, I will be with you. Notice he doesn't try to repair Moses' self-esteem. He doesn't try to tell him that the Israelites don't mind you that much, Moses. Doesn't try to say, hey, you've got a great beard, Moses. That's like a leadership beard. No, he doesn't tell him anything like that. He doesn't try to build Moses up because that would just put Moses' focus on all the things that made him insecure in the first place. Moses needed a focus shift. God's telling him, yeah, you've got a past, but look at me. I'm gonna be in your presence, present every step of the way. Yeah, you got rejected, but I will never leave you. Yes, you feel inadequate, but have you seen my power? See, I don't know what God's calling you to this morning, but I know this, he's right there with you every step of the way, every step. There was this one evening we were eating dinner as a family. We were just talking, and, and my son Elijah says, hey, Dad, I was thinking, you know, the, the word alone shouldn't really be in the dictionary. I'm like, okay, bud, what, what do you mean? Elaborate, you know? He's like, well, God's always with us, so we're never alone. So the word alone shouldn't even exist. Oh, that, from a four- or five-year-old, that's... I was pretty stunned. That's pretty cool. But he's absolutely right, right? Sometimes it's just the simple thoughts of a four or five-year-old that just blow you away and you go, that is amazing. God is always with us. See, because when we remember that, we know it doesn't matter if you think you're the right person for the job or not. It doesn't matter. He's with me. He's with me. So God tags Moses right back. He's it again. Moses knows it. And so look at verse 13. Moses says to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them?" In other words, like, what's going on here is Moses is, like, got some common sense. He's nose turning up and telling them, hey, uh, a burning bush talked to me. I'm supposed to free you from slavery. It's not really going to go over well, right? Like, they're not going to have much confidence. He needs some more information. He wants to know God's name. But why would that help? Here's why. the difference between a child saying to his sibling, time for bed, and mom told me to tell you it's time for bed. Similar message, way different authority. Way different authority, right? Moses is telling God, I don't have the authority to go do this. I don't have the authority. He tried to do it in his own authority last week. That got him into a fight with an Egyptian that he ended up killing, and he knows he can't do that again. He can't go in his own name. He can't go in his own authority. He wants to go in God's name. And with God's authority, And in a land full of false gods, he wants to tell them the name of the true and living God. And so in response here, for the first time in scripture, God reveals his name. In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. That's God's name. It's kind of weird, right? It's kind of a weird name, but I am for short. I guess some of his friends call him that maybe. I don't know but I am who I am isn't just any old name. See, when God names things, that's what, it's it's almost like that is what they are, that's what they become. So all throughout the Bible, God gives people names, things names, and that's what they are. And so when God names himself, it's a representation of who he is. And I am who I am means he's self-existent. He's completely independent. He answers to no one, needs no one, and there is no one more powerful than him. See, God is just like the fire that Moses is still talking to right now. The fire that doesn't burn up because it doesn't need any fuel, because that is exactly what God is like. He's fire without fuel. He's existence without end. He's a ruler without rival. And that's the kind of name that you wanna go with when you're going on a mission. So God tags Moses' right back. He says, go in my name and my authority. You See, this morning, you might not be called to free slaves from a powerful nation, but when God calls you to make a difference in your neighborhood, it's not in your name, but in Jesus' name that you do that. When he lays on your heart to pray for a change in your marriage, it's not in your name, but in Jesus's name that you do that. When he calls you to serve on a tag team or share your faith in your workplace, you can go confidently in the name and the authority of the I am. You'd think Moses at this point, he'd be like, well, that's some pretty serious firepower behind me. Let's roll, let's go. Let's do this thing. Uh Uh-uh, not yet, no. Chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? See, Moses is scared of rejection. He's scared of failure. He's tagging God back saying, they won't believe me. And I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm like, Moses, you've seen a burning bush. God said he's gonna be with you. It's the I am who I am, there's nobody else. Like, my goodness, you're still scared? That's until I get honest with myself and I go, yeah, it'd be exactly the same way. In fact, God calls me to far less and he's never let me down and I still try to tag him back. You see, perhaps God has called you to talk to someone and you've taught just like Moses they won't believe me. Maybe you thought, my kids won't believe me that I've given my life to Jesus and things have changed. My husband won't be up for counseling. My neighbors wouldn't wanna come to church. Whatever it might be, that's where we're just like Moses and we've misunderstood the mission. You see, God didn't ask Moses to convince them you can read in the following verses that God gives Moses three miraculous signs, signs that it would have been really significant to Pharaoh. He gives him a staff that turns into a snake. He has Moses put his hand in his coat and when he brings it out, it's covered in leprosy and then he puts it back in and pulls it out again and it's completely healed. And finally, he gives Moses this sign be able to turn the river Nile water into blood. But you gotta remember that this was before there was scripture written down, this was before Jesus had come, before the death and the resurrection, there was nothing, It was Moses and these signs. But even then, here's the thing, Moses didn't do one of those miracles, God did all of them. You see, God didn't expect Moses to convince anyone. God didn't expect Moses to figure out a great sales technique to close the deal. God was the closer. You see, God tags Moses back and says, you're the presenter, I'm the persuader. And man, does that take the pressure off. You see, we can't open people's eyes to truth, we can't soften hard hearts, and God doesn't expect us to. He asks us to be a presenter, not a persuader. When I was a kid, I struggled a lot with anxiety. Looking back now, I realize that's what it was. I didn't have a name for it back then. I was just really worried all the time. I was worried that I'd get left somewhere. I was worried what people thought of me. When I had a test coming up at school, I was really, really worried, and I wouldn't want to do it because I thought I was going to fail. And my mom was so patient and so good and all these things, and when it came to tests, she gave me this little mantra to say. She said, Ed, remember, do your best and leave the results to God. Do your best and leave the results to God. So I'd go into a test, and I'd be like, do my best, leave the results to God, do my best. And it got so ingrained in me that now with our kids, when they say similar sorts of things, I say the same thing to them. Do your best, leave your results to God. And actually my daughter, she has a little note card in her locker, and it says, you know, it's a little quote card, it says, do your best, leave the results to God, dash (laughs) grandma. I love that, I love that. But isn't that the truth? See, we try to control the outcomes, when we can't do anything about the outcomes. We just do our best, and that's all God's calling us to do, to be the presenter, not the persuader. He's got the outcomes. We are faithful to be persuaders, and that takes the pressure off. So God tags Moses right back, and Moses is it again. But even with the pressure off and just presenting, he still says he's not ready, because guess what? Even presenting feels too much to him. Look at verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. And I think Moses is starting to feel like uh, maybe I'm testing him a little too much here. So he's like really polite. Pardon? You know, you can almost say he's whispering. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. He tags God back saying, I can't speak. Now, granted, he might well have had a genuine speech impediment. It's not really clear, okay? But I think anybody, and I think all of us would be in the same boat. We're tasked with the the task of communicating, and we don't think we're any good at it. We're like, we can't do that. Trust me, I feel exactly that way this morning. But I love God's response. Check this out, verse 11. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them the sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. I love this because it's like, okay, this is what God is saying. Hey, Moses, you know that round thing on your face? You know the thing that moves, it's got lips and, and words come out, I made that. Yeah, you know, you know language, you know this conversation, I invented that. I can help you with this, Moses. Trust me. You see, God tags Moses back saying, I'm the maker of your mouth. And as we've seen through this very long conversation with a fire in a bush, Moses' focus is all wrong. He's looking at himself and thinking, I can't, I'm not, I'm weak, when he needs to look at God. Moses has to learn to trust God, that God would guide him with the words to say. So Moses is it again. He's lobbed up four excuses. Surely he's done now, but he has one final tag back. And with this one, perhaps finally the real truth is coming out. Look at verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. He's been really polite again. Please send someone else. Again, he says it so politely, but I just can't help but hearing Moses embracing his inner teenager and just letting out one big whine, like, please send someone else. (laughs) You know, I think we like to blame that kind of thing on teenagers, but I think I'm just as good at it. I think we're all just as good at it. Moses tagged God back with the simple, I don't want to. And I got a confession to make. Uh, I was reading this passage a few months back uh, in my Bible reading plan and, and I came to this verse and I'm like, God, that is exactly how I feel right now. I had, at that moment, I'd been tasked with something I really didn't want to do. I was tired. I was exhausted. I'm like, Lord, just send someone else. They do it way better than me. Why do I have to do it? And God had to work on my heart with that and he had to show me that he had a plan. And it was so funny to me that when Pastor Brian asked me to teach in the Exodus series, guess which passage it was that he wanted me to teach on? Yeah. God has a real sense of humor, I tell you. He does. But God's not laughing right now at Moses. After five tag backs, look what it says about God's response in verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, it burned. I can't help but think that's a little dad joke in the Bible right there because he's talking to a fire still, remember? So it's burning. Yeah. But what do you think God's gonna say? That's it, Moses. I'm tired of your excuses. I agree, I'm gonna fry you and send someone else. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think if my son or daughters gave me five times, tagged me back five times, I'd be ready to fry. Yeah, no, but you know, God isn't like that. He is so patient and gracious, even in his anger. Look at, it, at Moses' lack of faith, his anger, but he's so gracious. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. See, God's so gracious. He's so gracious with us. He meets Moses in his insecurities. He doesn't send somebody else, but he does give Moses someone else, a partner to go with him. But don't miss verse 15, what he says. I will help you, and I will teach you what to do. You see, the, the answer again to Moses' insecurity isn't Aaron, it's still God. See, God tags Moses back and says, I will help you and teach you. You see, again and again in this conversation, Moses was so focused on what he couldn't do that he had lost sight of what God could do through him. See, I don't know what God is calling you to do this morning. I don't know what kind of insecurities you're dealing with. Maybe your looks, your abilities, your education, your fear of failure, you feel a rejection, You feel completely inadequate to what God is calling you to do. But the answer to those insecurities is not in yourself. Not one time in this conversation did God say to Moses anything about how good, how effective, how perfect Moses was for this mission. Instead, every time he says, Moses, look at me, I'm with you, I'm the authority, I'll change hearts, I'll show you what to say, trust me, just keep your eyes on me. And that's exactly what we need to do. You see, we overcome insecurity by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Eyes on us, insecure. Eyes on the scary mission, insecure, eyes on Jesus, secure. We overcome insecurity by keeping our eyes on Jesus. There's a story told in Matthew's gospel where Jesus had been teaching all day and uh, the disciples were tired and stuff, but he sends the disciples off to sail across the Sea of Galilee. And he says, I'm gonna stay here, I'm gonna get some rest, I'm gonna pray, you guys go and I'll meet you on the other side. They didn't know how he's going to get there, but they said, okay. So there he sailed all night. And just as the sun was just starting to come up, they were looking out over the boat and they saw this figure on the water. And they start to freak out because they think it's a ghost. But then the ghost says, It's me, Jesus. It's me. Don't be afraid. And the disciples are like, Wait a second, Jesus is walking on the water right now. That is unreal. Now, Peter, if the disciples are new to you, Peter's like this bold, brash guy. He's always the first to do everything. He's got a big mouth. He's awesome. And he's like, hey, I want to get out of the boat and see Jesus and walk on the water to him. So he's like, Jesus, if it's really you, I want to come out there with you and walk on the water. And Jesus is like, all right, come on over. So Peter, who is a fisherman, and so he would have got out of a boat a million times. He, you know, and every time before, he would just step over and step into the water and get wet. But this time, he steps over the boat, and he puts his foot down, and that water supports him. And he takes a step, and he starts to walk towards Jesus, and he takes another step and he takes another step, and the water is somehow solid ground. But then all of a sudden, he he starts to see the waves, and he starts to think about the fact that water isn't supposed to hold anybody up, and crucially, he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, he's like, Lord, save me. He's in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus walks over on the water, pulls him out, takes him over to the boat, gets him back in the boat, and says, Peter, why'd you why'd you lack faith? In other words, why'd you take your eyes off me? You see, as long as Peter's eyes were focused on Jesus, he could walk on water. He could do the impossible. But as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, that was it. He was insecure. He was sinking. See, maybe today you're struggling with insecurities. Maybe today you've never got out of the boat. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never said, I'm going to trust him with my life. And you're scared to. Trust me, you can give your life to him. Keep your eyes on him. You'll be just fine. He loves you. He went all the way to the cross for you. Give your life to him. But maybe you did get out of the boat and He called you to something that was just really hard. And you got your eyes all focused on that. And you're like, I can't do this. I'm failing. I'm insecure. I'm scared of rejection. I'm I'm inadequate to this. And you got your eyes off him. Get your eyes back on him. Maybe this morning is a chance. Just like Moses, you can have a little tag back conversation with God one-on-one do some business. While we're preparing for communion here, have a conversation with God and tell him, I'm sorry, I got my eyes off you. I've been thinking about the mission. I've been thinking about all the scary things about it and how I'm not up to this. And all the time you said, just trust me, keep your eyes on me. I'm with you every step of the way. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.